Hey Siri, subscribe to the Crisis Intervention Team podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Crisis Intervention Team? Sit minute. Ask a doc, ask a cop by Crisis Intervention Team Incorporated. Oh yeah. Everybody, it's me, Matt Tinney. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in or listening or downloading or whatever the proper term is. I wanted just to talk a little bit about using peers or consumers in training. Um, you know, the terms change and it seems like how you talk about somebody with a lived experience is constantly changing. So just let's start off by definitions here. So when I mention a peer or a consumer, I'm talking about someone that's living with a mental illness, that is uh, self-disclosed living with a mental illness, that's willing to get in front of a room full of cops or public safety to talk about their experience. This has to be probably one of the most scariest things, and I've heard this a few different times from some of the peers we work with here locally, because not only is it a room of strangers, and you're talking about a very stigmatized illness, everyone in that room has a gun. And I never thought about that until recently. It's got to be kind of terrifying to just stand up in front of a room. And if you're picturing everyone naked, you're picturing them naked, but with a gun next to them on them. So, one, do you use them in your training? We feel y- you should. It's one of the core of destigmatization and empathy building. See, in public safety, it seems like we just constantly see people at their worst. We see illnesses at their at its worst. We still see substance use at its worst. So we need to bring people in so that we can get a better view of not everyone we encounter is this way. That there is hope and you can be in recovery. There's a few different options out there. You could work with NAMI or NAMI depending on where you are in the country. And that's the National Alliance of Mental Illness. They have a few what they call signature programs. One of it is called In Our Own Voice or IIOV. And this requires people that are in recovery from their mental illness or behavioral health, they become a trainer. So they have to take a train the trainer course and then they present on this. And so it's like a short video about different parts about recovery and acceptance of living with a mental illness. And then they give their own uh, perspectives and they open up to questions. It's great. It can be anywhere from like an hour or even 90 minutes. We use this here in our basic academy as a first introduction to this. Then there's other options out there. We host a panel of family members of people that are either with uh, substance use disorders or mental health, and then people that are living with this. And it's an interesting dynamic, and they go one-on-one or one-by-one. So you'll have a family member get up and tell a story, and then you'll have someone that is living with a mental illness or substance use disorder get up and tell their story. And then we open it up to questions. This has been one of the greatest and most impactful part of our crisis intervention team course. We put this in for the advanced training, and this has got to be one of the highest rated blocks in this program. And people are always like, I can't believe this person has schizophrenia and they were up here talking normal. Like, yeah, people can have an illness and be normal. You know, we just see the worst of it. and, And we don't realize that. Even, I mean, think about the times, if, if you are public safety, especially law enforcement, think about the times you see someone 
with a diabetic attack or having, you know, diabetes insulin problems. It, it's only with a car crash or they appear to be intoxicated and you think it's a DWI and you pull them over. We see the worst of diabetes, but we don't typically think, oh, there's that person with diabetes that they would only have eaten a candy bar or monitor that. We don't blame the person like that. But we seem to do that with mental illness and substance use. So it's a great way that we see somebody for the human that they are, and people have to be open. It, it's been great. I mean, it, it. you know, we started off, there were some, some stumbling blocks um, about trying to get presenters and then find presenters that are in recovery that can make it. You know, you have to realize that when you're working with somebody that is on disability, that is living and going through these different stages of their illness, every now and then they might be sick. It's the same with us. We might get the flu, and if you have the flu, don't show up and teach. You know, don't infect the whole class on that. It's the same thing. If you have an illness, take care of it. So we do that panel, and then we also do what we call perspective blocks. So we give a, um, a short lecture on about psychosis, so mania and psychosis and what that could be like. And then we incorporate someone with lived experience and have them kind of talk about it and ask questions. And then also they're there to, to say, oh, you know, it's not that way. Or, oh, I've heard that before, but, you know, I haven't seen that. They can give a firsthand experience. And then we carry that on and we do a recap of our de-escalation and active listening block. And so we go over it again, like these are the, the tips and the techniques and that we've gone over. And this is prior to them doing uh, role-based role uh, role scenarios, so role-playing. And in that class, we have, again, someone with lived experience. So the students are able to say, yeah, you know, they said to label someone's emotions. Does that actually work? And then you're able to hear somebody say like, oh, yeah, that works all the time. I love it when people tell me, wow, you seem like, you know, you're having a hard day and, and you just seem like a shell. Oh, yeah, you know, I am really sad and it has been really hard. Thank you. I do feel that way. And so students are able to bounce ideas off of, of uh, these people and these people are able to help educate the students and give them better advice. I hate it when people tell me, and I've heard this before through different instructors and different organizations that provide this training, it's too risky to have somebody that's a, a consumer or a peer there. It's too risky to have that. You know, it's a safety concern. Like, you, I cannot believe, one, you're teaching classes like this and that, that you believe it's a safety thing. If you were, one, up here trying to teach your, quote, crisis intervention training, to everybody, but you're saying it's a safety risk, then you don't even know your stuff. Yes, one of the things you have to be prepared for is what if somebody, you know, you have a presenter come that's not doing well. You have to be prepared to talk to them and tell them, you know, go home or, or hey, you're not doing too well and check in on them or, or figure out a way, you know, to professionally stop the presentation and talk to them about it. It's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy, but you got to do this kind of stuff. The more that you can involve people with lived experience in any of your training or even just casual, you know, one-on-one -on -one stuff like, hey, bring some, some people to briefing and thank the officers with whoever's running your CIT program. Hey, you know, we're here. We just want to thank you guys for what's going on. The more that they're involved in stuff, the less it becomes this stigma or I only see people with schizophrenia on calls. No, I see people living with schizophrenia. Oh, yeah, there is a, you know... John Doe, he comes to briefing all the time. You, you're able to, to look at it differently. 
You know, one of the things I always think about is think about the, that there was so much stigma with people with developmental disabilities. It used to be that way. Let's say Down syndrome. You know, there's a lot of just negative words and negative terms about that. But now we encounter people with developmental disabilities in our everyday life. We, you know, someone with Down syndrome, here locally there's a, a guy, Tim, and he owned a restaurant. We'd see him all the time. No one thought, oh, stay away from that person because we've encountered them and put them in different parts of our lives. It becomes normal. There's no need to fear the unknown. So please, if you are running a CIT program or you put on training for public safety or training for anywhere for that matter, you know, if you run a clinic, it's the same thing. Try to get people with that are in recovery for whatever it be, substance use, mental health, and put them back in. Put them back into your clinics. Put them back into your training. Have them give a perspective. This is a great way for you to raise the bar in your training, get a whole other side, and improve everything when it comes to your training. We've adapted and we've adjusted some of the terms we've used locally because it changes by location to location. So reach out to your advocates and communities and see, hey, what's the best way I should ask if you are living with a mental illness? Or if you have a substance use disorder, how, how should I ask that? Don't just go off of just some recent research or recent paper on that kind of stuff. Yes, that's a great starting point. It really is. But you got to ask your community. And it's a great way for you to build that trust in the community, work on community policing, and move things forward. When we first started doing this, you know, it really opened my mind to a lot of stuff. Um, one about how brave these individuals are, like I said before, about getting up and talking. And, and there was a lot of things that I realized, you know, they, they taught me a lot about responding to someone in crisis. One of the biggest things they said, um, to me that always stuck out is during crisis, we might be their only advocate. They've burned all their bridges. They may not have friends or family there anymore for them, but at that time we are their only advocate. We're the ones that can help them go to the hospital get into their proper treatment and possibly save their life. That really stood out to me. It's one of the few things, at least for me in law enforcement, that's proactive. I can save a life and do this. It's amazing. It's so amazing on that. One of the things they said, you know, is treat a crisis as uh, you are the only advocate for the person at that time. For every single one, like I said. Um, They also were talking about like a team approach, which I've seen this in research before. But instead of like, hey, I'm here and you need to do this, how can we work on this and, and get through this together? Having that on your side actually changed a lot of kind of stuff on that. One woman talked about that, that ever since childhood she's been living with some major mental illnesses. And she wanted to point out, you know, a child's attempt or thoughts of suicide is completely different than an adult. And this is true. Like, you might go and they're like, oh, my, my kid's acting weird. Well, what's going on? They're holding their, their head underwater for a long time. And you talk to them, what's going on? Oh, I'm trying to kill myself. By doing what? Oh, I hold my, my breath for, for, you know, a minute and hoping I die. You might logically know that as an adult that won't kill you. But listen to that person's thoughts and their intent behind that. If, if someone's saying that they're doing that to kill themselves, take it serious on that. They were also talking about taking a less authoritative approach can build rapport That's totally true, as long as it's safe to do that. But yes, I totally agree. Treat everybody like humans, and and you'll get a lot further on that kind of stuff. This is another one they said, ask, rather than telling them to do things. That goes a long way. Having an open body posture and body language for that kind of stuff 
When it's safe to do that, of course, do it. Treat the person as a person, not the illness or the call that you're responding to. I say that should go across the board, any kind of call you're on. You know, and they were also saying, ask what you can do to help and that kind of stuff. They also told me some things, uh, and they always tell the students this, you know, some things that don't. Try not to have negative body language. Like, here's one that we always do in law enforcement. Talk with our arms crossed. If you're used to doing that, just be aware of your body language and try to correct it. If you notice you're not building rapport. Ordering to do simple tasks like sitting down. This is a hard one. But, they under, but, you know, for the most part, always it's officer safety. Once you can make sure that you're safe and the scene is safe, you know, ask people to do things rather than just ordering them to do stuff. It goes a lot further than you would realize on that kind of stuff. Be careful with talking down to somebody, treating somebody like a criminal. You know, this is a hard one because people say that, and it's hard not to just portray that because when you're showing up in the uniform and you're talking to somebody... There's already, you know, that's already a barrier for us. We already have to humanize ourselves. There's so much stigma around law enforcement, especially right now. One other thing that comes up a lot, is, and it's hard to explain, but you got to explain to people, is why not give them access to their medicine? I've heard that a lot. Hey, I was in crisis. I was having a hard time. I, I was like, the, the officers got there. I felt a little calm. I went for my medication. They told me no. They said I had to go to the hospital, but I couldn't take my medication. And, and it really made them very nervous and felt trapped. And I said, well, you know, at least for us, when, when you're with us, we're not medical professionals. I can't have you taking random medications that I'm not familiar with because I don't know what the side effects are. And that's the reason why. Just get used to explaining things. People don't understand the, the thought process of us. And for law enforcement, we're so guarded for tactical reasons. But this isn't tactical reasons. This is just human reasons. But those are just some do's and don'ts that had been brought up that I wrote down from one of the more recent courses, which I thought stood out. So again, use people with lived experience. Do it. If you guys are looking for the lesson plans of the different blocks I'm talking about, send me an email at ask at gocit.org. I'll send you that stuff. I'll help you guys set up those things and talk to you about the, the benefits and downfalls and, and the struggles. You know, one of the things it's not simple. Like you call on an instructor and tell them to show up on the day they come up. You do have to build a working relationship. You have to meet with individuals with lived experience on multiple times, listen to their stories one-on-one coach them through it. Then you invite them to train. And that can be the difficult part. Collaboration is what always, I think, we overlook in law enforcement because we're so used to we ask and things get done. And that's one thing where collaboration, you can't just ask and it gets done. You actually have to put in the effort. But anyway, hopefully this helps you guys out. If you guys have any questions, again, send them to me at ask at gocit.org. And don't forget, send me any of and all of your guys' questions about law enforcement and mental health. Have a great one. 